0: I'm Shivam Pat, and today I am Commander-in. Thanks for listening, everybody. We put a spotlight on community issues, but we never, ever talk about three banned topics. Religion, politics, and Hearthstone. We're a 100% listener-supported podcast. If you haven't left us a review yet, we hope you'll let us know what you think, and we hope you'll share with a friend. If you want to support us in other ways, you can go to visit us on YouTube. There, you can subscribe to our channel, watch our videos, comment and rate them, and play us to the very end so that YouTube's algorithm will know that our videos were watched and they can surface it to other people looking for cool Commander content. Now, positive reviews get us in front of a lot of people because telling your friends that you saw our show and you liked it is the best way to help us bring you more content. There's nothing better than word of mouth advertising, to be honest, and we are so grateful to all of you who have shared us with all of your friends. You can also visit us at Patreon.com forward slash CommanderInMTG and donate a minimum of a buck a show. Even that much will help us bring you the best content we can week in and week out. Phil and I do this entirely out of our own pocket, and we are entirely grateful to all of you who have found different ways to support us. Now, we are also running a GoFundMe for the video show that Phil and I have started. Now, you can go to GoFundMe.com and uh, search for CommanderIn using our show's logo and help pitch in there to help us pay for this very expensive video equipment that we've got sitting around. We've already recorded the first set of shows and we're right now in the process of editing them and it's fantastic. One of the coolest things I've done in Magic and I cannot wait to tell you more about it. Hopefully we'll be able to reveal more about what we did very soon and in the meantime I'm really really grateful to all of you who have chipped in to help us bring a brand new way of doing content to all of y'all. Now you might notice that today I'm flying solo. Normally we would have two people or a guest or something, but as it happens, Phil's out of town and we didn't have any guests on the docket today. So I thought I would take a minute to talk about some of my favorite pet topics that I've been looking forward to getting to, but just haven't really had an opportunity to. Because one of the things that we all know as content creators is that not all of our content is good enough for a full-on show. Like, there's a lot of things you'd want to talk about that are maybe, you know, um, good enough for like half a show or a segment on a show, but not really going to be able to carry the hour by themselves. So today I thought I would just handle one of my catch-all topics that I've been kind of building up for a while and cover it in Phil's absence, because this way there's nobody to stop me, and it's pretty amazing. Um, And since I'm captaining the ship solo, um, I wanted to talk about this thing that I personally get a lot of value out of, and that's all the cool commander cards that have been released in the random supplementary sets that have been released all year long. I'm talking the stuff that isn't one of the main core standard sets, like not Ixalan or Kaladesh or Dominaria, but, you know, the dual decks or the master sets or the random global series products. Because... I'll be honest, one of the things about Commander that I love the most is blinging out my decks, right? Like, we have a lot of people who talk about budget Commander or talk about, you know, fancy card Commander. But there's not a lot of time that we get to talk about the Vorthos side of things. The people who care about the aesthetics of Commander. One of the things I'm into is making sure that my decks are all thematically, like, aligned, either in terms of land or in terms of artwork of the cards or in terms of... Just, you know, the vibe or the feel of the cards. And a lot of these supplementary sets that come out, they have a lot of reprints and they have a lot of just like, you know, cards that are easily accessible elsewhere. So we don't spend a lot of time talking about them, but some of them have the most amazing artwork in the game. And frankly, they're really cheap to get these days. And... It's worth your time if you're one of those people like me who wants to just make sure that all of your cards are thematically appropriate that you can sit there and go and pick up some of these cards from your bulk bin at your store and you might not have even known that they had existed. Before I get to the main topic though, a word from our sponsors. Now, see, every week we call out three of our Patroni, and we celebrate them for donating to us. However, this week I don't have the list of patrons in front of me, so instead I will gladly and gratefully thank each and every one of you who has donated to help us bring the show to you week in and week out. One of the things I forgot to mention up thread is that if you donate 10 bucks a show, which is a big ask, I know, but I'm deeply grateful for it. You can join Phil and I in our secret Facebook group that we have, where we sit and chat about commander cards and life issues and everything all the time. It's an incredibly active and vibrant community, and it's full of really great people. And to those people right now, I am deeply grateful for all of your support over the year. So, on to the main topic. now. We all know that Mark Rosewater has created this idea of psychographics and magic, right? You've got your Johnnies, your Timmies, your Spikes. And you also have the aesthetic timeline of Vorthos and Mel, right? So, like, Mel is the person who cares about the design of the card from, like, a number-crunchy standpoint. The person who's looking for the most, like, aesthetically pleasing. Not aesthetically pleasing, but just, like, mathematically pleasing card all the way around, Whereas on the other side, you've got the Vorthos, the person who cares about the story, the artwork, the way the card looks and feels, the person who, like me, is going to use the original Border Soul Ring, the person who would use the Bone Crank version of the Icy Manipulator from Ice Age. You know what I'm talking about. The guys who are, care about having their binders just look exactly perfect for cool reasons. And then the JTS spectrum that Morrow's got with the Johnny Jenny, Timmy Tammy, and Spikes is the way you approach play, right? So, like Timmies are the ones who want the big flashy effects and the giant, bomby creatures and the crater of behemoths that do huge things and win in epic ways. The Johnny Jennys are people who are like, okay, with this 12 card combo, I'm going to be able to deck you in one turn as long as I get all of these pieces to work in exactly the weird Rube Goldbergian way that I can. And of course, Spike is, look, I just need to win and I need to win on turn three, so we're going to do this right now. Now, one of the things that I've always felt the spectrum of psychographics has just missed out on has been... A third aspect of looking at magic, and that's from my perspective, which is that of a collector. Now, a lot of you guys, especially as Commander players, know that um, one of the best parts about Commander is being able to take all of your favorite cards from history, put them into your decks, and show them off to people. Not necessarily in like the, oh man, look at this super expensive mocks I've got, but in the hey, check out this Mahamori gin that I've had since, you know, 8th grade that's got, like, all my, like, middle school scar- scratches on the back of it. Or any of these other kind of, like, just nostalgia kits. You know, the people who collect all these cards who want 4 ofs, even though they only need 1 of for their various commander decks. And I thought that there was a whole spectrum of player that is just being missed out on. So I kind of created this notion of the collector. Right? Like, all of these 5 uh, Mario Psychographics apply to this. Like, the mail collector is easiest. Four copies of every card, arranged in collector number, arranged by set, by year, you know, the full shebang. Everything is perfect and mathematical. I've got every card I could possibly have. The Vorthos collector is, I've got all the story spotlight cards, I've got all the cards from the comic books, here's my collection of basic lands that are all the APAC lands only in order, and then you've got the collections from the Timmy, Johnny, and Spike view, which is like, the Timmy one's like, oh my god, check out, I've got all the inventions, the biggest, flashiest, blingiest cards there are. The spikes are like, I've got four of every card I need in standard, plus one of all the staples I need for Commander. And of course, a Johnny Jenny who's like, I've got every misprinted Evolving Wilds ever made. Very specific subset of a very random and specific segment of Magic cards that is super cool unto itself. I love this stuff. I think it's amazing. But I think that not a lot of people tend to talk about the collector aspect of Magic. And frankly, one of the reasons I play Commander is because I'm a collector and I want to show off my favorite cards. So that brings me to my topic today, which is here's some of the cool cards we might have missed from some of the supplemental sets that came out. Because not everybody is a lunatic like me that buys every set that comes out every year. Some of you guys might just be out there buying, you know, the core sets like the pre-release maybe picking up one or two singles and that's totally cool i just want to make sure that you guys don't miss out on some of the neatest cards that have come out so i thought i would start at the beginning of the year with masters 25 now nearly every card in masters 25 is fantastic for commander not all of them but a lot of them are and one of the things that Master 25 did that was really great for us was it brought together three cards that are just amazing mana fixers that are, like, super, like, they're uncommon, They're super easy to get because of the availability of these cards. And they're pretty cheap now because they used to be much harder to get, much more rare, and, like, only available in a commander set. And I'm talking about the two lands, Ash Barrens and Myriad Landscape, which are both kind of, like, you know, colorless fetch lands. Uh, where Ash Barons lets you land cycle and uh Myriad Landscape lets you pay two and tap uh, to get two basic lands of the same type. These are both fantastic, fantastic cards that were only previously available in Commander and are now available way easier to get in the Master's 25 set. And really, every Commander deck you have should run these because they're just phenomenal utility lands and they're super cheap. Also, Utopia Sprawl was put out, which is one of the all-time best green kind of ramp cards. Because for one green mana, you can enchant a forest, which if you're paying green, 90% of the time you're going to have. And you can choose a color, and whenever the forest is tapped, it adds one mana of that chosen color. Now, every deck that runs green as part of a multicolor package, you're going to want a Utopia Sprawl. They're super cheap, they're easy to come by now, because before they were kind of only available... In Guildpact or something. Oh no, it was only available in Dissension and in Masters 25. And I think that it would serve you well to kind of go digging through the bulk to find it. Now, the next set I wanted to talk about is actually the reason I created this episode in the first place. Which was the dual decks of Elves versus Inventors. It was the last dual deck that they ever made. And frankly, I personally find that super disappointing because I love dual decks. Now, the reason I've always loved dual decks, aside from the fact that they're just easy to pick up and play, you know, ready to go magic, is that they have always appealed to the aesthetic in me of like wanting to have the perfect image of each version of a card, because they're just full of like reprint of random cards that you just would never see reprinted anywhere else for no reason. But because these are just kitchen table casual, they don't feel bad about reprinting them. And one of the cool things about this is that you get like art that would never, I mean, so let's talk about this set and you'll understand. So one of the things that Dualdex Elves vs. Inventors did, aside from having one of the best themes of my two favorite kind of tribes, is that it was a Kaladesh themed set. And so one of the cards that they reprinted was Thopter Assembly. Now Thopter Assembly, which is the six mana five five uh, flying Thopter, says at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control no Thopters other than Thopter Assembly, you can return this to your owner's hand and create five one one colorless Thopter artifacts with flying, right? Now that's a great card by itself in a Thopter deck and a Saheeli deck. It's amazing. But you say, wait, Chivim, they reprinted this in the Saheeli deck. Why do you need another one? Aha, listener, let me tell you why. Because in the dual decks, Elves vs. Inventors, which came out for some reason after Chiefs, uh 18 did, they put out the Thopter assembly with the Kaladesh Thopter artwork. So it's this amazing, incredible, intricate-looking Thopter, but it's in, like, thematically appropriate artwork for Sahili, for Brea, for all of these kind of sets... And it's available in a dual deck that you can pick up for like 10 bucks from any of the random stores online. Because the artwork in the pre-constructed commander deck uses the old artwork, which is like the Alara Thopters, which doesn't feel Kaladeshi at all. It doesn't look right in any way. And it irked the crap out of me. I asked a Watsy person why they would do this. And I was told that basically these decks had flipped positions on the schedule. And because of that, the art for, um, They didn't want to accidentally like give away the artwork for the dual deck in the commander deck or something to that effect. So they used the one art in the commander deck and one art in the dual decks. And it just miffed me because this is such a missed opportunity, but that means that all of you guys can go out there, pick up this dual deck and get the best version of Thopter assembly for your Sahili deck. Because I know that you're listening to me, which means you like me, which means you also have a Sahili deck out there. And look, these thopters aren't going to thop themselves, right? Now, one of the other things that this deck had that was amazing was that its two face cards were Azuri Renegade Leader and Goblin Welder. Now, both of these cards are phenomenal cards in any regard. Azuri is super good in any elf token deck because, well, I mean, he only really works in an elf deck. But the artwork was by our uh, friend of the show, Victor Adame, and it's sick It is so good. And similarly, Goblin Welder is just a hard to get older card that is so good in your Sahili decks, your Brea decks, your Duretti decks. And being a repeatable artifact, uh, like tutoring, basically, is, I mean, it was one of the best cards ever printed back when it was in standard. And getting new art for it is just super cool. Finally, from this set, which it was also just full of really amazing elves, they had a brand new Elvish Archdruid artwork. Now, the Archdruid here is this glorious green card. It's got this glowing green heart of a tree growing out of the the uh, African-American elf. And first off, Archdruid is one of my favorite cards. It's just super sick. But the artwork here is just beautiful. And it goes really, really well with the Dominaria Full Art Lana Wars that came out, which if you, like me, you also have those and are using them in your green stompy decks, well, if you're going to be using the full art war, you should get the brand new Elvish Arch Druid. Once again, Dual decks Elvis vs. Inventor is, both the decks in there were hella fun to play, and it's super cheap to get, and that way you can scratch that aesthetic itch that you've been looking for. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I'll be honest, I bought two copies of this deck, one just to break down so I could put it into my Sehili deck. Now, the next set that came out this year that wasn't a mainstream set is, frankly, one of the best commander sets ever printed, which was Battle Bond. Now, uh, Gavin Verhey came on this show himself and basically said that Battle Bond was a whole nother commander set that they just snuck out there and released. And he was right, because I was going through the cards, and I realized that if I was going to tell you every card that's good for Commander in Battlebond, I would just be reading the set list of the cards. We had a full breakdown of this a few episodes ago, maybe a few months ago, actually, and it's worth your time to go back to. I've played it a bunch of times now, and Battlebond by itself is super great, but the reason I wanted to tell you that... um, you should go to your stores because one of the things about Battlebond is that once you play the draft version, the singles aren't that useful to anybody but commander players. So that means a lot of these are super cheap and easy to get if your stores ran any Battlebond events. Now I wanted to talk about a handful of cards because I learned about a couple of interactions that are just super sick. So, for instance, Generous Patron, which is one of my favorite cards from this, is the uh, two and a green one four that says when it enters the battlefield, support two, which is put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two other target creatures. And when you put one or more counters on a creature that you don't control, draw a card. I talked about this in that show, but the thing I've learned is that it says counter. It doesn't just say plus one plus one counter. So, with a Hapatra deck like I've been running, this is basically just a card draw engine. But, it's a counter, not just your counters. So, if you have an Oblivion Stone, for instance, you could start doing things like protecting other people's lands, or, you know, using it politically to help protect other people's cards, and still draw a card. You can use this to just draw a card whenever you put any kind of random counters on things. Charge counters on a creature, um... You know, just there's, there's all million types of counters that you can just stack on things and just start loading up on the card draw. That leads me into the second card, Together Forever, which is a two-white Monokatsinkas enchantment, which also supports two when it comes to play. And it says, uh, pay one, choose target creature with a counter on it. When that creature dies this turn, return it to its owner's hand. Now, when they Oblivion Stone you, you can just pay a bunch of mana and bounce your whole army back to your hand after it dies as a sort of pseudo-wrath protection. This card has got a ton of utility in Commander, and in a white deck, it is so, so useful to be able to just pull your guys back at a reset uh, whenever you're going to have, like, a Wrath of God effect. Like, you Wrath the board, but you don't want to kill all your dude? Okay, well, just together forever. Grab them all back. It's great. Finally, um, one of the cool cards I was just seeing again was Regna the Redeemer, which is the five and a white, uh, for a four, four angel that she partners with crab, the unredeemed, who is also great, but she is basically a flying angel at the beginning of each end step. If your team gained life, this turn, create two one, one white warrior creature tokens. You know who that's good with Lyra Dawnbringer, Shalai, Amara, like this card can go into so many really good Selesnia decks that you would have created by now or go into any number of really great Orzhov life gain decks. With Crested Sunmare, with uh, all the vampires that came out in Ixalan, Regna the Redeemed is super busto and has been really, really fun to show up with and just kind of layer out the tokens. Battlebond is probably one of the best supplementary sets they've put out next to like the two conspiracy sets. Maybe even better than that, but It's fantastic. It's worth getting to play. And if you can't play, it's worth cracking the packs because nearly every single card in it is good for our format. Next on my list is actually the inspiration for this entire project. The M19 intro packs and starter decks that you get for free from your local game store. Um, The reason I picked these is, frankly, because these are cards that are made for brand new players that a lot of people just tend to ignore, but there are actually some really good cards that have come out in these sets in the past few years, and a lot of people have missed them just because of the fact that They're not expecting that uh, brand new beginner card packs that they give out for free are going to be worth anything at all to most of us, right? Like, you look and you would think, oh, okay, there's another Shivan Dragon, there's another Mahomodi Jinn, like my 800 millionth giant growth, whatever. But... In M19, they made a whole bunch of brand new cards because of the fact that M19 was made for um, new players from the ground up, which means there's a whole bunch of original cards that we'd never seen before. And a few of them are actually really, really good in Commander and in Brawl. Like, for instance, Sarah's Guardian, which was uh, put out in the white deck, which is 4 and 2 white for 6 mana for a 5-5 five, five Flying Angel with Vigilance. Other creatures you control have Vigilance. In an angel deck, that is really, really good. Like, yes, there's a whole bunch of different effects you can get that give all your people vigilance, but a 5 5 flyer for 6 is already pretty solid. And in like Lyra Dawnbringer, in Chalai, and something like that, this is just really great utility. In a soldiers deck, this is really great utility. In a go wide token deck, in a lot of different decks. And it's free to pick up from your local game store it also came in the ajani intro deck and the new Ajani wasn't terrible either three and two white for Ajani wise counselor starting loyalty of five and for plus two you gain one life for each creature you control now i don't need to tell you how good that is in a world where you've got crested sun mares and life gain decks by the pound but his negative three is creatures you control get plus two plus two until end of turn. So that go wide team that you just got that you buffed up, you can just now send full in uh, with an extra buff and ruin people's day. And his negative nine is put X plus one plus one counters on target creature where X is your life total. Yes, that means put 40 plus one plus one counters on target creature if you're playing EDH. It's absurd. This card is way better than people think it is. I mean, yes, it's a planeswalker, it'll probably die immediately, but if you protect it, if you pay a little bit of attention, take care of it, this thing can pay off dividends. Next was also the card that actually surprised me because I'd never seen it before, was Aggressive Mammoth. That's an 8-8 eight, eight elephant that costs 3 and 3 green, and it says it has Trample, and then other creatures you control have Trample. That's huge. Being able to give all of your team Trample for six mana is pretty beefy in a massive green deck, or in a green token deck, or any number of things where you can just slam this guy down and start pounding in, in your Galta decks, in your Goreclaw decks. This card is Way, way underutilized. Really cool. Really just super utility. And I think it's got a big place in a lot of uh, low-powered commander decks. It's actually a really cool card. And it also comes with this uh, green card called Scala Wolf, which is 3 and 2 green for a 3-3 three, three wolf spirit. That says, when it enters the battlefield, you look at the top five cards of your library and put a green card from among them into your hand. That is pretty solid for a 3-3 that gives you, like, uh, pseudo-tutoring. I don't know. I thought it was just really useful, especially in a brawler in an EDH deck. And I would have never seen this if I hadn't just picked up one of those freebie starter decks. Also, Vivian of the Arkbow, which is the little sister of the big Vivian, is... Okay, it's a six mana for a five loyalty planeswalker, plus two of put two one one counters on a creature, minus three of target creature deals damage equal to its power to a target creature you don't control, or as I like to call it, the mug ability, and it's minus nine is all your creatures gain four four and trample until end of turn. So it's basically kind of an overrun. So Vivian Arcbow, not as great, but still pretty good in a utility case, and if you got doubling season, sure, bring her into play and just immediately go off it's pretty solid. Now, the last one out of these cards I wanted to talk about is Sarkin Dragon Soul. Um, This guy is 6 mana for a 5 loyalty, once again. Plus 2, he does 1 damage to each opponent and each creature they control. So that's basically a good, solid, plus 2 board wipe that's repeatable, that'll wipe out the entire squad of tokens or whatever. His minus 3 is deal 4 damage to target player or planeswalker. Fine, whatever, who cares. But his minus 9, search your library for any number of dragon creature cards and put them onto the battlefield. That's just 2 activations away from getting to pull out every dragon in your deck that's absurd that is absolutely absurd and this is just an intro deck planeswalker are you kidding this card especially in a five color plane uh, five color dragons deck with something like doubling season or whatever you just come in and tutor for your whole team your whole deck slam them in there and i'm sure you've got dragon to give all your other dragons haste and then you just go and annihilate it's amazing finally and I know I said that that was finally, but I actually meant this one, uh, Gravewalker, which is from the black set. It's a 5-5 five, five for four and, two, uh, 4 and 2 black for a bird spirit that's got flying. But the trick here is it's got this neat ability I haven't seen on uh, too many cards, which is repeatable reanimation. For 5 and 2 black, you can return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Basically, it turns any creature in your graveyard into a phoenix that you can pull out. Now, if you've got Urborg, if you've got Cabal Coffers, if you've got any of these guys like Narcana Revenant from Battle Bond or whatever, you can just pull out a ton of black mana. And if you've got that and you can just bring any creature from your graveyard back to play, that's pretty bonkers. These whole intro decks are just amazing. They're worth your time to look up, and I think that you'll find that there's a lot more interesting cards in there than you would have been otherwise expecting. The next set that I wanted to talk about was actually a really cool set that it seems like nobody bought but me, but I bought a handful of these because I wanted the basic lands in them because I am that guy. I'm talking about the global series of Jiang Yanggu and Mu Yangling, which were the really controversial Chinese cards that they put out. They put this set out as a dual decks for China specifically, and then printed in English for most other countries. And like the cards in here are standard legal in China and nowhere else. And a lot of people complained about that, but as a commander player, I don't care because guess what? Every card is legal in commander. And these cards were actually kind of terrible, except for a few things. And one of those is that the basic lands that they put in here were gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Especially and they also put in the um The comes into play tapped basic duels, like Timber Gorge and Meandering River and things. And the art on those is absolutely stunning. Look, these are just generic duel lands. We're going to use them all the time. We always have to have extra duels in our sets. And these are better than, I mean, they're not better than gates, but they're basically gates. And if you're going to use just generic gates, you might as well use the ones with the best art. And this Timber Gorge might be the best one yet. Now, the other cards that were on here that were really cool that I liked a lot, one of them was the uh, 4 and 2 White Ancestor Dragon, which is basically a mahomodi gym, because it's a 5-6 flying for 6, that says whenever one or more creatures you control attacks, you gain one life for each attacking creature. That's fantastic. That in a tokens deck, a go wide deck, any real white deck is just a great way for incidental life gain. And if you just happen to have it in the same deck as, oh, I don't know, Regna the Redeemer, you can just start churning out more tokens. If you have it in like a Crested Sunmare deck, you're just churning out more horses. This has got a lot of utility and nobody talked about it because it was in a set that nobody bought, but this might be one of the few cards in this set that are actually worth playing. The other cards that were in this set that were worth playing, though, are the two face Planeswalkers, Jiang Yanggu and Mu Yangling. Now, Mu Yangling is the four and two blue, so she's the uh, mono blue walker with a uh, a loyalty of five, and her plus two is target creature can't be blocked this turn. That's by itself a pretty great uh, power in a Voltron deck or in really any kind of EDH deck. You've only got a reason to attack. Get all your attack triggers will trigger random things, right? But her minus three is absurd because it's just straight up draw two cards. And her minus 10 is tap all the creatures that your opponents control and you take an extra turn after this one. Now, why is that good? That's like, I mean, okay, look, so that means that you can kind of win, kind of Alpha Strike. Well, if you tie it back in with the the card from the Masters 25 set, borrowing 10,000 arrows, which says draw a card for every tapped creature your opponent controls, it's pretty absurd, and if you use this in a deck with Tomio, you can just go to town and do really, really insane things. The other card, Jung Yangu, who is the 5 and a green for a 4 loyalty uh His powers are okay, right? Target creature gets plus 2, plus 2, until I turn for the plus 1. Minus 1 gets you the uh, Wu, the 3-3 three, three green hound. Oh, which is by the way, a gorgeous token and his minus five, which is a uh, target creature gains trample and XX where X is the number of lands you control. Look, if you're playing a Titania, get wrong, a Gitrog, a Windgrace deck, this is bonkers town. This is just great. And the reason that I wanted to talk about him at all is because they have a card in there called journey for the elixir. It's a sorcery for two and a green. That's search your library and graveyard for a basic land card and a card named Yanggu, Reveal them and put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. This is a tutor that gets a land out of your yard and puts it into your hand. It gets the um planeswalker out of the yard or the deck, puts them into your hand. In a Gitrog deck in a... uh Windgrace deck in a Titania deck. Being able to bring a basic back from your graveyard and reuse it is amazing. This is actually one of the best ramp spells I've seen in a while. Just because it's got like so much hidden utility. And it pulls a Planeswalker. That is sick. It reminds me of... Fork in the Road, one of the cards from uh, Shadows Over Innistrad, which said, search your library for two basic lands and reveal them. Put one into your hand and one into your graveyard and then shuffle your library. It's, these extra utility is so good when you're talking about these kinds of cards. And it's just, this set got totally ignored and really shouldn't have. And frankly, you can get them super cheap too. I think it's totally worth your time to go pick up this set. It's super beautiful. Most of the cards, not very good, but frankly, the few that are, are totally worth playing in some of your random decks. The last thing I wanted to talk about today was the Explorers of Ixalan board game that came out last year. It came out between Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan, and it was this little Catan-like game that you could play alongside your normal Magic games. It had a board in the middle that you could explore and added effects to your games. It was pretty neat, pretty fun to play. But the major thing that I wanted to talk about from it was the fact that it also came with a whole bunch of really interesting reprints that are kind of hard to get, but really great for the commander format. Like for instance, it came with aggravated assault, which is the enchantment that lets you get an extra attack step or blatant thievery, which lets you steal one permanent from each opponent you have. It also had some of the harder to get uh, mythic stuff like necropolis Regent, which is a flying vampire that whenever a creature you control deals damage, you put that many plus one plus one counters on it. I mean, frankly, you can get this set pretty cheap too, and just the value of getting these extra cards for your collection is pretty great. I mean, to wrap up here, basically, every year Magic puts out a million billion sets, and there's no way for anybody to keep track of all of them. One of the things that I really hate, and I try to bring up to Watsy every time, is that they're flooding us out with too much product. Now, they keep saying things like, hey, you know... Not every product is for every player, you know, these products are for different audiences, but we're commander players. Every set is for us because there's always going to be a commander set and a commander card or two in every single set. And because of that, it's really, really hard to keep track of everything that comes out all the time. So... It's really useful, I think, to just go back once in a while, dig through the bulk at your store for all these cards that standard players don't want, that modern players don't want, but have been just sitting there hidden in these random supplementary sets. And I think you can find really cool stuff that can bling out your deck thematically, bling out your deck in terms of just cool cards to have. And it's just really fun. It reminds me of the uh, exploration of the earliest days of playing Commander. And frankly... That's one of the coolest things we can ask for. But I think my time here has come to an end. So thank you so much for joining me for this special solo effort. And we hope you've enjoyed the show and we hope you let us know what you thought of it. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at Girapuri Gears, or you could find us at the show, which is at Commander and MTG. And just let us know what you think about this solo show or about this topic. Do you guys have any special cards that you found from supplementary sets that you think people should be giving another look to? I would love to know because frankly, this is right up my alley. Once again, we special thanks to our patrons who support us and help us bring this show to you every single week. Without your continued support, we could not do this, and we are grateful for everything that you do. Feel free to chip in at our Patreon, at commanderinmtg.com forward slash donations, or at our GoFundMe page. But now my time has come to an end, and next week we should be back to full staff with me and Phil, and I hope you guys will join us then. See ya!
1: You can reach us by going to our website, commanderandmtg.com. Our email is cast at commanderandmtg.com. You can find us on all of the social medias by searching for Commander and MTG Podcast. Our theme song was created for the podcast by Nate Burgess. Our logo was created for the podcast by Mr. Picto, with assistance from Kelly DeLuca. You can find more art from Mr. Picto by going to mrpicto.co.uk. Special thanks to Tech TechWiz's Jesse Thompson and Graham Frank, and to Justin for the server space. Commander at MTG Podcast is unofficial fan content permitted under the Fan Content Policy. It has not been approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC.